the Ortho PAC, hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC, where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Welcome back to date, Dr. Viennes. Dr. Viennes is a board-certified fellowship-trained specialist in treatment of foot and ankle. Dr. Viennes, welcome back, and we are going to discuss athletic injuries of the foot. So we talked about plantar fasciitis stress fractures. What about turf toe and the opposite beach toe, which I think is basically the same thing, just a different mechanism. And if I'm wrong, please say, but I've seen these and they can be debilitating to the point that that it takes months for people to recover. What's your thinking on those? Turf toe, you know, the name comes from thinking of typically a football injury. People think of, uh, you know, getting their foot caught in the turf, meaning our official turf, the, the cleat holds the foot. And then you get some big guy landing on your leg and your foot gets driven into the ground, usually a hyperdorsiflexion kind of injury. And then it tears the capsule, the, the plantar plate of the first MTP joint. Most turf toe injuries aren't going to be unstable, meaning that the toe isn't, isn't lax. You can't do that sort of anterior drawer test, almost think of doing that like an ACL on a toe but they can be unstable. And that just depends. Uh, that'll completely impact how you're going to treat it. Even an unstable turf toe injury in a non-athlete or non-high level athlete, maybe they can do just fine. But the thing is, you don't want to have an unstable toe. Unstable joints in general are worse than stiff joints, at least in the foot, it seems. You kind of want to get stiffen up so then that toe isn't moving too much and just causing chronic irritation and even like post-traumatic arthritis. Again, most of these turf toe injuries are going to be able to be treated without surgery by stiffening up a shoe, potentially taping the person's toe, almost like a hip spica dressing kind of thing, a hip spica or a toe spica kind of wrap can help a lot. And again, that carbon fiber plate thing we talked about, maybe a boot for a period of time, sort of depends. But when you start having a turf toe injury that includes instability or you get a fracture through a sesamoid bone. Those are when you're starting to worry that this is a worse injury and that may may require surgery. MRIs can come in handy. X-rays, one of the things you can look for is the position of the sesamoids. And again, this is one of the reasons why using a bilateral AP X-ray, which is our standard protocol here in my clinic, lots of orthopedic foot and ankle specialist clinic, because you can compare where the, where's that sesamoid supposed to live. Because if you start getting a migration of the sesamoid, one more than the other in particular, sometimes both, depending on the injury, that really kind of tips you off that there's more going on because the sesamoids live down there. And if they aren't where they're supposed to be, then that means something's not putting the appropriate tension on it. And likely it's completely torn. Or again, a break, a break through a sesamoid tip you off that. This isn't this isn't your no big deal turf toe. This may end up being surgery. And I've seen lots of those athletes that that do and need to get it fixed. They tend to do pretty well in the end, but it can be a tricky diagnosis to make. One of those things you gotta know to look for it. Um, the other thing that you can do if the patient can tolerate it, which often they can't, you can take the, the flexion view, sort of a lateral view, and you can see the sesamoid move. So you can do the normal view, and then you can dorsiflex their toe and see the sesamoid move, how it's supposed to. You can use the other side to compare or even look under fluoroscopy and watch a move. But often if it's an acute injury, the, the patient's not going to let you do that. 
So that's the gist with with those sesamoid slash turf toe injuries. But it can take months, certainly, to to get better. If it needs surgery, obviously, it's going to take even longer. But, you know, they, they are not rare. The other thing along those lines, sort of a different thing, but somewhat similar is you can have traumatic bunion. So you can tear that tissue, that medial capsule, and then all of a sudden the patient's got a bunion. It's not the most common injury, but it can happen. It's probably treated somewhat similar to the turf toe, but you maybe are going to be wanting to really splint or tape that toe over, you know, maybe using a little wedge or a, a bunion spacer or something like that to kind of hold it straight. But but sometimes those even end up needing to get fixed too, because again, it's a it depends on how how much of that soft tissue is torn, how chronic of an injury has it become before it gets appropriate treatment, and is it able to sort of start stiffening up in the right position, or is it start healing where where the cat's out of the bag and it's it's healing in a bad spot. I got to tell you, I love orthopedics. Yeah, I'm going to twist your toe backwards that you just sprayed just to see if the sesamoid moves. <laughs> I love the, the the provocative test. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Yeah, you usually don't warn them. You usually just do uh-huh. it. Yeah, just do, <laughs> just it. do yeah. it and tell them yeah. afterwards. Oh, I needed to see. So sesamoid injuries, thanks for bringing that up. I did have that on our list and you covered everything, but I'm just curious and I'm not sure I've seen this. What kind of surgical treatments do you do? I know you don't want to do a sesamoidectomy because the toe deviates if, if you can avoid it, but can you do RIF on a sesamoid or how do you manage that surgically? It's very hard. You try to not have to do anything for surgery on a sesamoid. There aren't a lot of great options. Can you technically do RIF of a sesamoid? Maybe if you're lucky, but most of the time it's going to heal. And if it doesn't heal, then that probably means there's a blood supply issue going on. So then going and putting some screws in it often isn't going to work. And those sesamoids, even though they look like they're big, they're really not very big. And you often end up not doing very well if you try to do surgery and end up just taking the thing out anyway. But you're right. You don't want to just go take out a sesamoid if you can help it because they're there for a reason. And losing a sesamoid, you can lose one, but you can't lose both. If both of them are gone, it's pretty much need to do a big toe fusion, MTP fusion. But depending on which sesamoid has to go, you can get hallux valgus or hallux varus. But yeah, sticking screws in a sesamoid doesn't really work. If it has to have surgery, it pretty much goes. So we covered uh, so far plantar fasciitis, stress fractures, turf toe, and sesamoid injuries. I have one more on the list. And, you know, when I was writing this, I it, it wasn't really a sports injury talk, but then I started thinking about it, a neuroma, like the Morton's neuroma or whatever. And it's usually in the older female that has the tight fitting shoes and hammer toes and claw toes and the metatarsals are just smashed and they get this neuroma, or that's my experience. But with the whole running barefoot movement, people running barefoot on cement and stuff, I mean, it, you know, first, why? Second, you know, I, I started to see more of these with that. So just curious what your uh, thoughts on that. You know, certainly anybody can get neuroma. I've had young patients with them. You're right. When you have the forefoot deformities and abnormal stresses going through the foot chronically, it probably is a bit more common that I see, but I do see it in those younger patients. Although I do also see patients told they have a neuroma and they really don't. Now, you can have nerve symptoms that can act like a neuroma and you really kind of treat like a neuroma as far as offloading the area with a metatarsal pad or a neuroma pad or really pretty much the same thing. But sometimes the nerve itself doesn't have an actual neuroma and applying 
like a thickened area of the nerve. It's just that the nerve's irritated for whatever reason. Sometimes it's because they have a metatarsal stress fracture. Or sometimes they actually have a plantar plate injury of one of the lesser toes. So you don't necessarily have to have a crossover toe or a full-blown hammer or claw toe to have a plantar plate injury. And you can even just have irritation or stretching of the plantar plate. But sometimes patients have true plantar plate injuries of a lesser toe. And, and somebody just says, oh, you have an aroma because they have forefoot pain. So you really, again, comes down to the physical exam. Like, where does the patient really hurt? Is their toe unstable? And you can do, again, that drawer test thing. There's other little tests you can read about on the internet about sort of trying to pick up a piece of paper or scrunch up a piece of paper with the toes or tear a piece of paper, kind of pulling on it with your toe. There's a lot of little subtle things you can do, but the easy test that we often talk about for the neuroma is that molders click. So you're sort of holding two fingers between the total metatarsals, one on top and one on bottom, and then with your other hand squeezing side to side and seeing, do you feel a nerve pop up and down between your fingers? And if you do, did that make the patient hurt? Did that reproduce their symptoms? I mean, that's, that's kind of the classic, yep, you got an aroma. In which case, trying a steroid injection, something like that, a timer or two is not unreasonable, particularly if you've got a pretty clear-cut aroma that you can feel and the story and symptoms that all fit. But again, kind of like the plantar fascia thing, steroid shots can cause problems too. You can get forefoot fat atrophy. You can weaken the, the joints. So you can cause someone to end up with a crossover toe. I've seen that happen a lot where patients been getting uh, forefoot injections for oftentimes unclear reasons in the, in the foot because they had pain. And then next thing you know, their toes dislocated and sitting on top of their big toe because they, they rupture that the ligaments and the plantar plate from the chronic steroids. So don't want to just willy-nilly go shooting steroids in people's forefoot unless you really know what you're treating. Even the uh, plantar plate tears, those don't necessarily need surgery. In fact, oftentimes they don't. It just takes a long time. And by stabilizing the toe, whether taping a little brace uh, or a, something called a Budin splint, that's B-U-D-I-N, that can be pretty helpful. Um, and again, the little metatarsal and aroma pads in the shoe, wearing a wider forefoot shoe, so you're not just jamming those metatarsals together all the time can help. And again, that kind of goes back to the thing we mentioned before, really go into a good shoe store where the pay, the people that work there know about shoes and aren't just trying to sell you the, the newest neat looking shoe. They're trying to really help figure out what the problem is and what you need, not just getting you off the shelf, whatever you ask them to get you. Because there's a lot of these patients will come in and they tell me, oh, I just get wide shoes, but they really don't necessarily have a wide foot or certainly not a wide hind foot. So then they're just rattling around in that wide shoe and causing other problems where they just need a different design to the shoe, things like that. So that, I think that's important too, is really kind of counseling patients to go to the right kind of place. Not everybody can get away with just ordering whatever or picking whatever they want off the shelf. That's sort of the neuroma thing. You know, uh, several years ago, someone, uh, we were doing a conference, foot and ankle conference, and he was, he was uh, assigning topics. And the joke was that if you really, you're doing a foot and ankle sports conference and you really want to get somebody you assign them second toe problems in the athlete because that's just the worst <laughs> the worst nobody likes it it's just hard uh -huh. to treat and it's that's the ultimate ugh, the worst topic ever so and I really do think that's that's true it's not that the patients are are bad per se but it's just hard to treat it and it, it's just a ugh, no fun so 
we feel your pain, the patients that have it, because <laughs> it's not fun to treat either. It's difficult when you're very goal-oriented, like every exactly. person I know. You had mentioned plantar plate, and we haven't really talked about that. Could you just give us a, a quick what it is? And it, it's something that most people don't think about, really. Right. And I think it's, a, unless you're foot and ankle, but I think it's important for people to know. So again, it's the same thing as the turf toe. There's tissue that's helping stabilize the MTP joint from coming up dorsally. And all the toes have it. You know, you're oftentimes thinking of, you know, the turf toe is the big toe, but you know, the second toe, the third toe have a plantar plate. They all do, but the second and third tend to be the ones that I see become issues and they can get tears. And sometimes you have to go in there and primarily repair the plantar plate. Those are relatively newer not a new structure, but new technique for having to, to repair that, something that's more appreciated over the last probably decade or two in orthopedics. But again, you don't necessarily have to have surgery. And a lot of times you're trying to get the toe to scar in an appropriate position, and you can do that with non-surgical ways. But, but you're right, it is underappreciated, and, and lots of times patients have that when they've been told they have something different, and it's just a matter of examining them. But you might need an MRI and maybe even an MRI arthrogram. Not always, but sometimes by filling up that balloon, you can see the fluid leak out a lot easier than if you just have an uninflated balloon and trying to find out if it has a hole in it. So you're right. I mean, I think that is important for people to know about and to, to think about uh, maybe it's a plantar plate issue. Dr. Vienz, thanks for your time again today. A lot of good information and happy to Happy to be here. Thank you, Sam. Thank you for joining the OrthoPAC podcast. Please follow the physician assistants in orthopedic surgery on social media. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Please subscribe to our podcast. If this has been helpful, please take a moment to leave a review.